Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Thursday, May 12th, 2022. Joining me for today's podcast is Stuart Walpin, who writes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, uh, Techlicious, Investopedia, and others. Uh, my other two frequent uh, participants on the podcast, Rob Pegarero and John Quain, unfortunately are on other assignment. But it's great to have uh, Stuart. And Stuart, welcome to the podcast once again. How are you? Oh, I'm glorious and free. The Mets are winning, so all is right with the world. Well, this could be the start of something big. You know, I, I was thinking now that you're on the podcast by yourself, you know, maybe you do a spinoff like, uh, you know, like Rhoda. Remember Rhoda was a spinoff from the Murray Moore show in the, in the 70s. So maybe that happens. You know, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll pl- I'll plug you and you'll get your own program um, by yourself. But really, welcome to the podcast. It's been kind of a bit of a slow, a little bit of a slow news cycle. I mean, some things happen that I want, I want to uh, drill down on, but... I have to do this because and I'm going to surprise you a bit with this. Um, oh, wonderful. Uh, I'd love to do this to you. I had to bring up the standings. You know, I know that I know the Mets are playing right now, yeah. but I know you'll know this um, because, uh, because you are a baseball historian. When was the last time on, at May, on May 12th, I'm looking at the calendar when the Mets and Yankees were in first place in their respective. I have, I have no idea. I'm assuming you have to go back to 2000 or 2001, 2000, 1999, probably when they both won uh, their, their, uh, well, actually the Mets didn't win in the, the pennant 1999, but certainly the Mets and the Yankees were in the series in 2000. Yeah. There's also a shot that it could have happened in 2015 when the Mets went to the world series. I mean, it could have happened in, in, you know, any number of, of, of the last 10 or 20 years. Well, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to, I don't want to spook you, but it is kind of crazy that, you know, Hey, look, the season's not even, not even a third over. How many games no. have they played so far? You know no. what I mean? It's, and the other coincidence is, of course, that the two LA area teams are both in first place yes. in their respective divisions. So yes. I'm it, it's it's interesting that it could be New York, Los Angeles. You know, again, we're really, really early, but and there's so many levels of playoffs now. You know, who the hell knows what's gonna happen in September? But you yes. know, I'm I'm like last year, you ride you ride the wave as far as it goes, and you hope that they continue to win, and um, and they get the Grom back, which would give them an insane oh, well, that, step for the post. That, that's the that's the unbelievable. And we got because I could talk to you about this forever, and, and yes. unfortunately, we're not we're not on ESPN. But but no. the reality is, the reality is, is that once the, the Mets have been playing very well without the Grom, and once he comes back. Oh, you know, I, mean, I think that could be a you know, but you know, you know, baseball is a crazy sport. The Grom could come back and, and not be good, and, or not be good, or the rest of the team starts to falter. You yep. know, so uh, anything is know, possible but, in this crazy yeah. world of Orin. Yes, and unfortunately, both of us are addicted to this game of baseball, and it drives people crazy who are not addicted to baseball, like uh, John <laughs> Quain, who <laughs> care less. Right. In any event, let me bring up our first topic here. Got to get to this. It was kind of a kind of a nostalgic week in that Apple finally discontinued its last model of the iconic iPod product line. It really transformed the company as we know it. You know, not too many people um, remember that in that, you know, they were kind of on the comeback trail, you know, with their iMac back in the late 90s. That was the really first new product that Steve Jobs kind of brought to marketplace, you know, all those colorful 
um, uh, solutions with with they had a built-in CRT. It wasn't it wasn't a um, LCD like current the current iMacs are today. But the iPod really transformed the company in so many ways. So you know, what's your takeaway when you look back at no, just not the product itself, but how it transformed the company and how it kind of it was kind of a uh, you know a, a wake-up call for the rest of the industry. It didn't just. It wasn't just a singular event for Apple. It was a signal, singular event in the history of technology. Now, mm. we all know that the iPod was not the first digital music player. The first mainstream digital music player was the Diamond Rio. Um, yes. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the, the, the Rio. Back yes. in 19, late 1998, they sold, it, it was 200, 200 bucks. It sold for about 400000 And that really, I mean, you had had digital music. You had the adventure of MP3 over at Fraunhauser in, in, in Germany. Um, and you had Winamp here in the U.S. So you had bits and pieces of the digital music puzzle being put together. The problem that Diamond Rio had and the problem that the iPad had initially was the guy who was in charge of the Diamond Rio, who I've interviewed on any number of occasions, um, a guy by the, I'm, I'm also blanking on his name for a second. Hold on for a second. Um, it's the great thing about podcast. You can read, you can read, read real time analysis. He's going to kill me. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll come up with his name later. Um, but anyway, he could not convince the diamond Rio people that they also had to have a music service as a content hardware companion. And Apple and, that, and that's an important that's an important point, Stuart, because up until that point, people were resorting to illegal methods for downloading. That is correct. Music. They were creating sneaker net in some way. They were getting the music from one place. Jury rigging to download it onto the player. I believe the Diamond Rio even had a memory card slot. Right. Um, and uh, it and one of the reasons behind that was, and I think it's one of the very few things that people seem to forget about that era was that there was some degree of illegality involved, not only from the point of view of stealing music, but whether copying music digitally was even legal. Yeah. And it wasn't until the Rio did not come out until a, fe uh, a, Cal a federal district judge in California by the name of Collins, her name I have in the top of my head, um, and it was a female judge ruled after the RIAA had sued Rio about disseminating their music in this format that the judge decided in her favor. And I actually corresponded with the judge about three or four years ago, and she had no memory of the case. But it's that case that allowed the entire digital music industry right. to happen, much like right. the Sony case. Uh, at the Supreme Court allowed home video recording. It's a yes, very important fair use. And Rio was enjoined from letting that Rio get into the market until the judge had made that decision in September of 1998. Now, what ended up happening was that Apple people ended up visiting the Diamond Rio people. They were very interested in either buying the technology or figuring out how they were doing it. And there was correspondence. Uh, between the two, between executives of the two companies. I don't think it was ever a formal um, configuration between the two companies. But when Diamond didn't, wouldn't let the guy create a music service, that's when Apple really took him. And what right. Apple did wasn't invent the digital music player. 
but they made it legitimate by by it's the company's size the the amount of attention they devoted to it and of course two years after the ipod comes out they open up the itunes store um which and i think i think the word you're searching for is they refined it they took that concept they perfected it the same way they did with i I mean the 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 ipad not the first tablet um you know i mean all of what apple is really good at is putting that package together and presenting it as a complete package to, that the consumer says, oh, I get that, whereas a lot right. of companies would come out piecemeal the way that Diamond Rio did. And so the iPod is an epical, technolog- technologically historic product because it completely changed how we buy and listen to music. It, it, it sent these huge tsunami waves into the record business, and into record stores, Tower Records no longer exists because of the iPod. Right. People stopped buying physical music. So the iPod is what triggered the complete change in the way we buy and listen to music. And the fact that it's gone 20 years after its, its release, again, is, is nostalgic, but not a surprise because most technologies like this last about 20 to 25 years you can go back in history from from the radio onward and these technologies have about a 20 to 25 year lifespan until the next generation comes along and shoves the original into the background and so that's exactly what's happening here so it's a sad day but the idea lives on because anytime you pick up your phone you can. It's well. Your, your iPhone. Your iPhone is essentially an iPod. That's at least correct. that's part of its fortunate uh, functionality. I mean, that's and I, I would be remiss uh, because I worked at a company that was responsible for the iconic scroll wheel. Um, you'll recall, um, uh, Stuart, that uh, the um, up until that time, the physical interface on those devices were. First of all, there was all kinds of different physical uh, iterations. Some of them had scroll knobs and mechanical um, devices, things you had to sort through, which was um, that defeated the purpose. If you had 10,000 songs on it, you couldn't scroll through 10,000 songs. You needed a way to access music quickly. And Synaptics, the company, the legendary um, human interface company that I I ran the uh, PC uh, business for some time, Mm -hmm. they invented that scroll wheel. You know, and I won't take that would be another podcast in terms of what happened there, but that really essentially put Synaptics on the map so that you know they, they you know really uh, the apple magic was they solved the interface problem you know how to scroll through thousands of songs very quickly the design the industrial design was a jonathan ivy special i mean it was just a beautiful product from an appearance hold on one second at, oh he's gonna reach for one does he still have one i do Oh my God! You still have one. You should hold on to that. It's going to be worth a few bucks. It's 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 right above my shelf in a very uh very proud space. This well, the and, 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 and you recall the other thing. If you look on, it's so funny. Up it, at that time, it looks small, but it's it's a bit bulky. Into into. In well, I mean, compared to you know, having yeah, a yeah, yeah. green screen, but you get the idea here. But, but if you look on the side, but if you look on the side, it had a thirteen ninety four FireWire interface. Which at that time, you know, was bleeding edge for moving songs. If you had to use USB 1.0 at the time, you know, it took an hour to move uh, 50 songs or 100 songs. So, and then of course they solved the 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 business model problem because up until that point, 
the music industry was very cagey about these devices because they were, you know, people were going on, on sites like well, people like Zaza, I said with Winamp, Winamp and other software programs rip, rip your own CDs until right. Apple finally realized that why don't we put up a store and sell the damn song? And they legitimized the whole business. They made the re they, they made the record companies rich, quite frankly, because oh, yeah. now the record companies could sell just like ebooks allowed these content providers to sell their content without any costly physical media and they charge the same stuff for the songs essentially so their profit margin just went right through the roof so it happened happened with the vcr that the content providers at first fought against it and then realized they would make more money with the new technology than they did before right. so history repeating itself well, you know, like everything else, you know, the iPod was a precursor to the iPhone. The iPhone was a precursor to the to the uh, iPad. Mm -hmm. And you know, you know, again, we, this is probably the the topic of uh, of another podcast one day. But you know, it's very difficult for other companies to emulate Apple and what they do. I, I think everybody wants, you know, the, the clients that I interface, the companies that I, I work with. The first thing they say if they're, if they're playing in the consumer space, we want to be like Apple. You know, we want to design products like Apple. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure an industry can can really accommodate someone more more than an Apple. Now, that's not to say that Google doesn't make some good products and other companies don't make good products, but there's still something about Apple in terms of their 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 touch, the perception they have with customers, the brand equity that they've um, they've built. And I guess the point is, it all started with I, uh, the iPod. Well, these, these things always go in, in, in one of, I, just to quote George Harrison, all things must pass. People <laughs> thought the same thing about Kodak, and people yeah. thought the same thing about RCA. And these companies are both dust, essentially. Yes. They're done with their brand name. Well, I mean, Kodak, talk about a company that had the world by the yin-yang. And by the and way, and had all access to all the technology it that wasn't that they had the access to it. They invented, invented it. That's my, that's my the point. The company that invented the digital camera was Kodak. Kodak. But unlike Apple, which has never been afraid of cannibalizing itself, Kodak was afraid that digital cameras would cannibalize their right. business. And by well, the time they, they, they realized... They were money off of film processing. Correct. You know, that, by, the that was not realized, by the time it realized what was happening, it was too late. And the same thing to a certain extent happened with RCA. They started, they, they entered, they were the ones that brought the VCR to the United States. Uh, the Betamax came out first, and RC, but RCA's VCR had a six-hour recording speed, so consumer, even a four-hour speed, so guys could record a Sunday football game, which the Betamax could not do. Um, and it included, I remember, it, it included a tape of Muhammad Ali's greatest fights. And so it, the VHS, the first, it was a JVC or Matsuchino made VCR, but RCA was the one that brought it to the U.S. market. And by the time Sony realized what was going on, it was too late. But then they tried to go a step further when digital media started going to optical disc. And RCA came out with their uh, basically what was a video disc that was a phonograph record, right? And um, it was again, it was too late for them, and it killed the company.
And, um, and, and you could point to a lot of cases where these companies were also led, you know, the great man theory. Kodak led by George Eastman until he offed himself. Obviously, they had a series of people. But RCA led by um, uh, by David Sarnoff until he left the company, you know, and his sons took over. And so one of the lucky things for Apple was that they found somebody like Tim Cook, who to a certain extent is the polar opposite of the Steve of Steve Jobs. Um, and that's probably what the company needed, somebody who was really focused on the logistics and supply chain and the numbers. Uh, he and Johnny Ive, I'm, I'm assuming, considering that I've left the company, uh, were, I wouldn't say at odds, they obviously had, you know, differences in vision, but the Apple continued because Tim Cook is just very good at what he does. And yeah. both RCA and Kodak were just led by people who just didn't have the combination of vision and logistics and business that Tim, Tim Cook seems to have. So a lot of it is happenstance. Somebody's making those bad decisions someplace. Well, I'll just leave it on. It's almost like baseball when you leave a pitcher in there too long, too long seven yep. or eight inning, and um, you know, you know, you got a two or three run lead. The guy's cruising along. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking Pedro Martinez in the yep. uh, game against the Yankees in the playoffs when. Mm-hmm. Uh, they left him in too long, and that, of course, led to the um, the, the comeback of the Yankees. And that all the talent, team. all the talent in the world, you still have to have the right coach or manager. Well, and I mean, the bottom, I mean, the bottom line is that, and you know, to your point, very few companies, very few senior executives, when things are going well, you know, you're in a market and you're doing well, you it's hard for you to understand that that could go away at some point, and you should prepare for you being. Because you'd rather obsolete yourself than someone else right. do it, you know. Yep. And that's a lesson, unfortunately, that few clear path to succession is history has always shown us. When there's not a clear path to succession, chaos follows. Well, on that note, let's hit topic number two. Uh, Disney Plus announced some big numbers uh, yesterday. They added almost eight uh, eight million new subscribers. Um, and you know, Netflix is struggling. Let's face it. I mean, we talked about this last week. Uh, the uh, you know and, and I think the interesting thing is and this is what I want to get your opinion on that you know I did an interview for Market Watch yesterday and one of the, the, the big topic was before Disney's earnings came out Disney Plus's numbers came out uh, was hey is Netflix's issues a sign of things to come for other streamers and this would suggest at least in the case of Disney Plus remember Disney Plus has got Hulu they've got ESPN Plus so they've got a couple of major streaming services those streaming services saw growth where Netflix, of course, went the other way. So that would suggest to me that, you know, Netflix is some of their self-inflicted decisions they've made, you know, in terms of change, you know, uh, uh, upping price over the past um, uh, several years. It's not never always a good thing. They're now in this kind of, they're going to crack down on password sharing. Yes, they, they've, they've, um, they've announced that um, they are going to offer an ad supported service. I wonder if it's too late for that. Honestly, yeah, we about that last week. Yeah. So, but let me get your view on the whole Disney Plus piece, and and I guess the question for you, uh, Stuart, is it the end of plans with just un, um, unlimited, uh, not unlimited streaming, but streaming with uh, without ads, or will 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 we see every streaming service eventually move to a model where there will be ads? You know, you're going to pay a lower price, but you're going to have to watch ads. The answer to that yeah. is yes. And I know that you asked several questions there, and I think yeah. this is all entwined. First, first and overarching, I think Netflix suffers from the arrogance of the pioneer. Um, almost all pioneering companies think that because they started it, 
that they are going to be dominant for a long period of time. This is the same thing that happened with IBM when they first came out with the IBM PC. They thought they would own this market, not realizing that by making a machine that anybody could copy, like Kevin O'Reilly says on Shark Tank, anybody can make one of these. Why should I invest in you? Um, the same thing happened to Sony. Uh, who had for years this not invented here attitude that when anybody came out with a new format, they came out with a competing format because they thought they were so big that they didn't have to comply with all the other formats being put out there. Just look at what Disney has done and why Disney is growing and why Netflix isn't. This is so easy as a second point. You can get a package with no ads of Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN for less money for all three of those, than for one Netflix subscription. Hmm, let me see. I can get three services for less than the price of one. Why would this even be a decision on any consumer's part? Right. Is Netflix offering the great content that would justify it? Maybe. But you're still faced with this three for one contrast as a consumer with a limited budget. And uh, I mean, there have been multiple studies that say what would be the, the tipping point for how many services consumers are willing to subscribe to. So for instance, the same thing you have with Amazon Prime. You don't only get Amazon Prime, but you could also get Paramount Plus from Amazon Prime instead of having to dial into a separate service. Um, and so the fact, and so I think the trend here is not towards ad supported services, which may very well happen as more and more of these services come to market. I think what's going to happen and is already happening is consolidation. Not only the Disney, Hulu, ESPN, not only Amazon Prime and and Paramount Plus and whomever else that they've absorbed into Amazon Prime is providing, but also Warner and Discovery. I mean, both of those companies discovered very early that HBO Max and Discovery Plus were not going to make it as individual services. So they're going to put those together. So I think that consolidation is going to be the major trend in the streaming wars, not only because it makes economic sense for these providers to sort of group together, but it's a much friendlier atmosphere, the consumer to make a buying choice. If I can get seven different services and that, let's say i've got hbo and, and hbo um max and discovery i've got two there i've got amazon prime and paramount plus and i've got the disney hulu espn package i'm now only subscribing to three things for just a little more money than i'm paying just for netflix by itself no. so from a consumer I, I, economic I, 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 point of view limit being able to buy all that stuff condensed into packages instead of buying to each one individually. So I think what Netflix has to do is not only do a, a um, an ad supported, but they really do need to find somebody to partner with. Partner with. Yeah. No. And, and, and I will say thing because, you know, this is the second week in a row. You've actually said something insightful. <laughs> Don't so, get used to it. No, but no, the, the point you made, I think is a good one because you know right now the U S economy is headed into very, troubling times. We may indeed be in a recession and we don't know it. Inflation is out of control. And at some point, people, you know, you know how people, hey, if I can't afford to buy butter or milk or steak or, or meat for their kids or God forbid, baby formula, if you can find it, 
people are going to have to cut back on streaming services. You know, they're already doing that because there's been an overload of content. Yes, you cut down on the luxuries. This is a very typical economic situation. So I absolutely believe that's true. But I also will say, and I was was out of town for the last few days going to a wedding, uh, a family wedding on the East Coast. Saw a lot of family that I haven't seen in probably since the pandemic. And the we had a conversation actually about streaming and Netflix. And these are people that are not in the tech space. These are people who are very much you mainstream civilians. users. Yes, yeah, civilians as you, you like, we like to characterize them as. And a lot of them, and I don't know how, this is obviously not scientific, you know, people had a few drinks, so who knows. But Netflix specifically has started to get a little bit of a reputation of having content that's not as compelling as it was a few years ago. I mean, there were certain programs that really put Netflix on the map, original programming. And a lot of the content they've fed over the last couple of years, and again, I don't want to take sides, you know, but a lot of it was, a lot of it was woke. And, and again, I'm not, not to get into that discussion, but Good. you know, Disney has a built-in audience. You know, the, people like sports, which is why ESPN Plus is doing quite well. You know, people, you know, sports always ranks up number one or two as, hey, that, in addition to local news, it's kind of the things that people really want, you know, and have regular access to, but. I think you're absolutely right, uh, Stuart. I think that they need a partner. They need um, to diversify um, uh, their content uh, because right now, you know, and God knows they can do really good content. You know, they—they—they. They, they, I, I don't want to obviously try to you know throw um, you know uh, sand on that, but the reality is, is that in this market right now, especially producing original content, that's why you haven't seen Roku do a lot of it. It's very expensive because essentially Netflix is a studio that broadcasts its own content. I mean, if you, right. you know, and I think there's and, also the case of, of there being too much. And yes. There's, there's, there's one example I love to use when tech companies do this, when it's sort of like going to a diner and the waiter comes over and gives you a menu. That's the, that is the length of, war and peace um and so instead of getting burrowing into this massive volume of entrees and appetizers and soups and salads and sides you end up with a cheeseburger and i think that's the problem that netflix is having is that there's they have gone with quantity over quality which is exactly the opposite trend that both um, disney and to a greater extent apple is pursuing Apple is not going after the quantity. They're not worrying about piling up all this content that makes it difficult to find. Now, Netflix, I went looking last night, for instance, to this very high, highly publicized Marilyn Monroe documentary, The Untold Story, The Tapes. Yeah. I couldn't find it. Yes. It was so buried within all the other trending videos. I didn't remember the name of it. I, and so I actually literally had to do a search for Marilyn Monroe, despite the fact that this should be, this should have been really easy to find. Right. And the reason it's not easy to find on Netflix is because there is so much content to weave through and to be, and, and I think Netflix sees this as a positive, but to me, it's an overloaded no, it, menu. It's enormous frustration for customers. Universal search, which is the the industry term for it, mm-hmm. and you know some companies have actually done a pretty good job of it. For example, Roku. I'm, not crazy, I'm not crazy about them sometimes because they do drive me crazy from time to time. But I'm a Comcast guy mm-hmm. out here, and, and they're a Universal search mm-hmm. uh, for content and other yeah, channels. Kino does cool. a very good job with it. Also, yeah. Roku does also. 
but I shouldn't have to resort to that. Right. It's a very it, it this is one of their premier documentaries that put out there. It's got a lot of coverage in the news. I shouldn't have any problem finding it. Couldn't agree with you more. That's a, a problem that still that people we've made progress in the industry, but it's still got a lot of ways to go. Let's hit our last topic here because this, this one's going to be a fun one. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, this is a thing that ha- what I like about this topic, uh, Stuart. It's really a problem that has to be solved. You know, that we got to get to some type of passwordless sign sign in. Um, uh, orientation and uh, you know uh, just to kind of summarize up uh, up for people who are not aware of this Apple Google and Microsoft uh, teamed up for a um, some work they're doing with Fido who is an organization focused it's an it's a uh, standards organization Fast ID online yes <laughs> very very cute name and uh, you know let, let's face it you know people are not you know people are not the best when it comes to creating passwords now the and I'm stating the obvious, but there are some stopgap solutions of people. You know, I use um, Keeper, which is a password manager that kind of works pretty well across platform, but it's still laborious. I'm, I'm, you know, they still have all my passwords stored up in the cloud, and I'm waiting for a breach one day. Think, oh, guess what? We 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 broke into the into Keeper, and now your passwords are all over the place. That's going to be, you know, and that has happened by the way with a couple of password manager uh, utilities, but. This whole notion of being able to do um, a kind of have kind of a, a pass key in the cloud that's standard that it doesn't have to do this authentication thing, you know, from when you, you know, when you go into a, you, and you, you know this well. So g- give me your perspective. Do you think they're going to have success? I, I mean, I think they have some since, you know, Microsoft, Google and Apple control most of the browser market, you know, given their presence and both both Google and um and Apple obviously have the, the vast majority, majority of the smartphone category. What's your take on this and why do you think it's important? Well, first, I agree with you. This passwords is just, you know, the, the uh, what is it, the weakest link here? I mean, I know there's a different, the strongest something is its weakest link. And mm. for online security, passwords is obviously the weakest link in the whole online security area. People don't understand them. Um, they tend to go to for something that they can remember, which means anything that they can remember is easily broken into. Um, and p- I don't think people understand the danger. I was on Google the other day, just doing a Google search on my own account, and it gave me a list of about 50 websites of mine where I had weak passwords. And right. I'm going, first of all, how do you know? And if you know, who else knows? knows. And I literally took two days to go through all of those sites that said I had a weak password, which scared the bedeathers out of me that Google knew that I had weak passwords. Um, that is certainly not the way to handle that, by the way. To put just on <laughs> to suddenly tell you, oh, all your pass and my friends, how do you know? Um, but I, I, I've tried a couple of password managers and I know what I'm doing, and I still found them awkward to use. Um Finally, I just reverted to, I have an Apple, so I use notes. I list all my passwords in a note, and I password protect that file. It's not an elegant solution, but at least I only have one general email to remember, and all my other ones are protected behind this one, which I think is a pretty good 
you know, and I do, I do the spreadsheet thing where, you know, before I started using keeper, I had everything in a, a password protected um, spreadsheet, but hey, that, that's laborious. You know, right. you have to, you have to remember. I tried a couple of the password managers and I just found them too difficult to use. I wasn't sure what they, what they were actually, and in actual users of some of them, they weren't remembering my passwords to begin with. Right. Um, so it is a major problem. But the FIDO solution, I love the idea that these three major companies are doing it, but I think there are so many problems that they're going to face. The first and foremost is the fact that you're now requiring a consumer to have two devices with you at all times. Mm -hmm. um, that's the one thing. The second thing is what if you lose your or your phone gets stolen? That's, that's the problem. That's a, that's a problem. The third issue is wh what is going to verify your use of a phone? You're out and about. You have no other devices with you. You just have your phone. What other device are you going to have to use to verify a web, um, um, a password on your phone, which is the only device that you're carrying? Is this going to require me to carry a key fob of some point with a fingerprint reader on it as a secondary authentication device? Um, the third thing is, Great. You have Apple, Google, and Microsoft. What about Firefox? What about DuckDuckGo? What about all the other browsers? That, what about Opera? What about all of these other browsers that a lot of people use? Are mm -hmm. these three companies doing this a sort of form, you know, a conglomerate, you know, a 19th century robber baron situation where you form a monopoly now? So Fido has to either get these other guys involved, you know, the Firefoxes and the, the DuckDuckGo's of the world to get them involved in this also. So it's not just these three guys dictating how the rest of this is going to work. Um, so there's that piece. And then the final piece is convincing consumers that this is a good idea, that you now have to carry a secondary device. I've done, having been in this business a long time, I actually did sort of a, 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 an informal study of, of product marketers and designers. And there's a sort of a universal thing. What's the most important thing to a consumer when considering a new piece of technology? It is not price. It is convenience. Convenience is the biggest factor in a consumer's decision to adopt a new technology. And if you're going to ask a consumer to now carry two devices instead of one, that is the opposite of convenience. Even if it solves such a major problem, I think that the general consuming mainstream population is going to be resistant to being told they now have to carry two devices. So well, I think, it's a, I think well, it's a sure, great idea, but I think the practicality of it just based on my experience in this industry, they're going to have a problem selling this to the general public. Well, the, the, sorry, the counter argument is that how many people have smartphones? What's the market percentage? I mean, uh, oh, it, it's either. the bulk of the market. The flip yeah. phones have disappeared. They're yeah, more right. convenient than because right. before they are, I, the, the case can be made that the reason the uptake was so strong because people realized the convenience of being able to carry the one device in their pocket that did everything, which was part well, of Steve Jobs' initial iPhone pitch. If it's all these things in your pocket at once, instead of you having to carry a separate computer with you to check your email, you know, one. So that's the smartphone is a way more convenient device that offered a great deal of consumer convenience. The same thing with DVD versus Laserdisc. 
it was smaller, therefore more convenient. Same thing with the CD. It didn't record, but it was easier to carry around than a tape, which would melt on your dashboard or the tape would get eaten. Now, all of these new devices that took over from old ones, the primary factor in their consumer uptake was a bit more convenient product. You may be right. able to find exceptions, but generally speaking, it is convenience that rules in consumer mainstream consumer adoption. And if you're telling a consumer now you have to carry two devices, that is the opposite of more convenient. I applaud their efforts. I'm I'm I will remain skeptical as to the two device solution. Right. No, I it's um you know, they kind of sort of do that right now. There, there's some methods that employ that. There's some really old-fashioned methods where, and I'm sure you've done this, where if you want to make a financial transaction um, on um, Zelle or others, it will send a text message to your phone. That's not using biometrics. It's just a simple text message for a four- or five-digit number. But, that, but the case is being made in that in that case that that's not secure either. Because no, it's not. The system not. isn't exactly secure. Sure. So what they're trying to do is get past that right, to make right. it much more of a blockchain kind of situation where you could be sending stuff and nobody, anybody who right. might and, it's, and, and, know and what the hell it is. It's based on a, uh, a face scan or, uh, or a uh, mm -hmm. fingerprint, you know, mm -hmm. but you know, we, we could talk about this forever. I, I personally think it's a step in the right direction. Oh, oh I, I agree. I, I, think it's nice, I, I think it's always nice to see cooperation between Google, Microsoft, and Apple because they generally yep. have um, competing um, interests. Yep. And, uh, and I, but I do think the point you just made, you know, are the, uh, there are browsers out there they don't have, you know, that they, they don't have obviously the kind of share those other three companies have with their respective browsers. But they, those browsers have lots and lots of um, respect and popularity with people who are looking for privacy and, you know, DuckDuckDo obviously mm -hmm. is obviously a big one, but anyway, you know, we could talk about this forever, Stuart. And, uh, but we got to close, we got to wrap things up. By the way, before you go. Yes. Diamond Rio executive was David Watkins. David, I apologize for not remembering your name. David Watkins was the guy who shepherded the Diamond Rio into existence and fought with the Diamond people to, to, to get them to get into a content situation like iTunes and couldn't convince them. David well, Watkins. Thank you, David. I'm sure, yeah, I'm, sure, uh, I'm sure David will appreciate your shout out for him. But uh, Stuart, thanks for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech, uh, the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Vina Tech Guy. If you haven't already, please make a donation to the Red Cross or your preferred charitable organization to help the brave people of Ukraine in their time of need. And until next time, everyone, have a great week. And again, Stuart, thanks very much. Mm -hmm.